Welcome back to episode two with our wonderful guest, Jody Barber. Yes. And I'm here with Tanya Brown. Tanya, nice to see hey, you. Hey, Randy. This is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And welcome back, Jody. Uh, thanks for being here. Thank you. Um, as hard as it is, thank yeah. you for being here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're going to talk about some tough stuff, yeah. particularly if you're a parent. Uh, these are going to be some incredible skills that parents need, need to, to know. know. Yes. yes. So to recap, uh, Jody, you grew up, you know, in Orange County yourself. You married a guy from Huntington Beach. You're from Hempfound Valley. Uh, you get married, you move to Laguna Niguel, which is a community uh, here in South Orange County that's relatively new. Uh, you're one of the first, you know, people to move into the area. <laughs> and you have two boys, beautiful boys. They grow up uh, and different personalities. Blake, the younger one, is a little, you know, pretty mellow, easy to get along with, not a lot of discipline issues. Your older son, though, is got some, you know, he's smoking pot. At least you're talking about it. You don't, you don't approve of it, but at least there's a conversation going. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then Jared's uh, got a DUI at 18. There's some trouble, but th there must have been some good sides of Jared. You know, I, I know enough of your story to know that he had a kind heart. Why, yeah. why don't we start with that before we get to that day? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, he did have a beautiful heart, actually. Mm. Um, all the adults loved him. Mm -hmm. And uh, he did have a, a really loving heart and he loved family and family meant everything to him. And um, I miss his uh, birthday cards that he, or his mother's day cards that he'd write to me. And he, it was kind of a competition with Blake. <laughs> he wanted to make sure that Blake didn't copy what he was writing. Okay. <laughs> it was really funny. That's cute. It's so cute. But um, yeah, so, oh my gosh, the, the letters he'd actually write in these cards were incredible mm. and it'll make me cry. Oh boy. That's They're okay. beautiful. Here's yeah. the issue. No, I got it. I already got it. <laughs> you got it. Um, okay. And so, yes, he had a beautiful, loving, caring heart. Um, he, you know, he talked back. I didn't like the talking back, disrespectful business, but, uh, but I knew how much he loved me and mm -hmm. I knew how much he loved his, his brother, Blake and, mm -hmm. and his dad and, um, his aunts. Oh my gosh, his aunts. <laughs> <laughs> She's awesome. He had so much fun with his aunts. Yeah. They loved them. Oh. Yeah. I only know one. She's mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, Jody, I'm going to ask you that tough question. Yeah. And that is, tell us about that day and just start with when you woke up and, and what happened on that day. On that day. Oh, oh, okay. On, on that day that, okay. So I need to back up a little bit because sure. before that day happened, I took him three months before, which was in October of 2009 yeah. to a doctor to get him um, off of the opioids that he was addicted to. Mm -hmm. So now I find out that Jared was addicted to opiates. And um, in particular, well, it was Oxycontin, mm -hmm. but it was also Vicodin. And the Vicodin was started after he broke his collarbone. Mm -hmm. Again, at that tender age of mm -hmm. 17, mm -hmm. he was almost 17 when he broke his collarbone. He was with his best friend and family dirt biking. That both of them broke their collarbones together within two hours of each other. It was crazy. Mm. And the nurse called me and said, I have your son here. He's in pain and I'm going to give him Vicodin for his pain. And I said, okay, thank you. I never even heard of Vicodin. Yeah. Um, and so 
Jared uh, loved it. I had no idea that he continued to take Vicodin. Where was he getting it? Not in my medicine cabinet, um, but he had some friends who were seeing a doctor in Roland Heights, 45 miles away. Her name was Dr. Lisa Singh. Hmm. And so it was all cash related. And Jared had her business card in his wallet. He would have seen her. He was in the waiting room waiting for his friends, but he would have seen her too if he had cash, but I didn't give him money. Mm -hmm. So they came out with hundreds of pills. And anything that hundreds of Vicodin, hundreds, hundreds of combination of pills, Um, but actually 300 Vicodin, 150 um, Norco, um, you name it, Selma's, anything they asked for in less than five minutes. Mm -hmm. And so um, the Vicodin that it led to Oxycontin. And so now they're trying something stronger and yes, they're misusing it. They're cutting it up and crushing it and smoking and snorting it. Um, And they felt like they can, you know, rule the world and they felt good. Um, So Jared's friends were 18 years of age when they saw Dr. Lisa Singh. And that was the reason she can, you know, overprescribe to them because they were of age. They were adults. Wow. And so, um, so, yeah, so this is what happened. And I had no idea. My son was addicted to prescription drugs. I'm thinking it's marijuana. We need to, he came home extra quiet, extra sad, extra happy, in a different mood. I'm thinking it's marijuana the whole time. Mm. And it wasn't until October of 2009 when I found him in my backyard at three in the morning out, nodding off, he called it. Um, I said, Jared, you're out here sleeping. What's going on? And he says, I'm, I'm nodding off. I'm just nodding off, mom. What does that mean? And so it took two hours to get him to bed. And I was like, oh boy, he's on something strong. And the next morning we talked to him. We didn't know what to do at that point. He did not want rehab. He said it didn't help his friends. And I'm like, your friends? I didn't even know you had friends that went to a rehab. (laughs) And and so uh, my husband and I went to a psychologist. And the psychologist said, okay, I'm going to send you to the best doctor in Orange County. And I said, okay. So anyway... I gave that doctor the heads up. And so the doctor knew that Jared was addicted to marijuana and Opana or oxymorphone, which is like a hundred times stronger than Oxycontin. Mm. It's supposed to be prescribed for terminal stage cancer. Mm. And Dr. Lisa Singh was prescribing Mm. 90 in a bottle to his friends. They cut it up into quarters and shared it. Wow. So do you think, let's talk about the gateway drug. Do you think like alcohol, like beer and marijuana? Because you know, we hear about the term gateway drugs, right? Uh-huh. So do you think, you know, beer, you know, on any alcohol on any level, and then along with marijuana, we consider well, what's called like a I gateway think, you drug? Know, when you're not in your right state of mind and you're drunk, you know, and then somebody's going to say, here, like, hey, here, this. try this. Yeah. Uh, oh, sure. Okay. This is probably, this is like during the time too, when the kids were having like, what are they called? Like the Skittle parties. Mm-hmm. Right where the kids would come in to parties mm-hmm. and they would yeah, put all the popular pr- all the parties. pills. Yeah, the yeah pill so parties. they're just grabbing pills from their own medicine cabinets mm-hmm. that mom and dad were taking and going into the yeah parties and just throwing them in a bowl and saying, "Okay, I'm going to take this one and I'll take this." Not one. Not knowing what they're taking. That's insane. Yeah. So yeah. So is it a gateway drug? Is marijuana a gateway drug? My. Not for everybody because Jared had groups of friends. Some of them just smoked pot and they mm-hmm. could just smoke pot. Some of them didn't do anything, no drugs, no alcohol. Some of them, you know, did drink 
And uh, so, yeah, it's just not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but for not- the majority, I'd say yes. See, I, I, Jared never drank much, if at all. Am I right. right about that? Yes. Okay. So it's just drugs and pot and and pills, basically. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So go ahead. Yeah, we're we're listening. Yeah. <laughs> so so the prescription drugs. Um, so I took him. Yeah. When I found out that he was not enough, I gave that doctor that I, um, he was going to go to for help off of the opiates. Um, I told him what he was taking or, or no, that he was not enough, excuse me. So anyway, he knew what he was, what he was doing. And so he says, okay, I'm going to give you anti-anxiety and antidepressants to help you. And at the first visit, um, he promised me that all Jared's cravings will go away. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh gosh, okay, thank you. This mm-hmm. sounds great. Okay. And so I went into every visit. Um, and I monitored and I gave Jared Clonopin that he prescribed and some, it was actually Prestique, but then two weeks later he switched that to Clonopin. Mm-hmm. I mean, excuse me, to Cymbalta. So I'm giving him a Cymbalta and, um, a Clonopin a day. Mm. And so this was in October and now Thanksgiving day, um, I'm waiting for these pills to start working and Thanksgiving day have the whole family at my house. I mean, everybody, all my relatives, everybody's over. My sister finds a crushed pill in his room. Mm. Mm. Jared had a a friend over, uh, this girl, and um, I guess he had snorted Opana and he was high as a kite. And we have a view out our backyard and he says, see it out here? It's bad and I want to help my friends. And I couldn't believe, you know, you're saying that. Um, but yes, he, uh, he was very high that day wow. and it, wow. it caused a scene. It was horrible. Um, so he relapsed on Opana. And so then that was on Thanksgiving and then Christmas day we're at grandma's and Jared has a bloody nose and he wouldn't eat and he looked horrible mm-hmm. and he complained that he broke his ribs and that my mom won't take me to the doctor. He got into a fight with a friend and I guess he, and just like kind of a scuffle and he fell into the table and he said his ribs, you know, were broke, but he was riding his bike around. So I knew they weren't broke. Anyway, um, he kind of caused a scene at grandma's. And so grandma says, oh, here. And she puts the bandage around his ribs, you know, lift up your shirt and I'll wrap them. Mm-hmm. So she's wrapping his ribs with those bandage round and round. And that is not what he wanted because he knew grandma had Vicodin in her medicine cabinet. Oh. Mm. And so um, he just ripped that apart and again, caused the scene. scene. Um, it was pretty bad. So now after that, now he's claiming that he needs, you know, more clonopin, more clonopin. So the doctor said, no problem. He can have two a day. I said, are you sure? Yeah, no problem. He can take two. So now I'm giving my son one in the morning, one at night, and the Cymbalta. And now January comes January 6th. And one more visit with the doctor. And this time I'm in the waiting room. I went into every visit. I'm in the waiting room. And Jared walked out with two handful, a whole bunch of sample boxes of Seroquel and the prescription said, take three to four Seroquel. I thought he gave me all of the samples 
and he kept one and I didn't know. And so January 7th, 11 o'clock at night, he's with two friends watching a movie and we went to bed, my husband and I, and his dad woke up and called me downstairs um, three in the morning and Jared was sitting up on the couch and he couldn't wake him and he was barely breathing. And so his dad gave him CPR and I called 911 and it's okay. Yeah. And the ambulance came and they worked on him some more. Some stuff came out of his mouth and rushed him to the hospital, Mission Hospital, where he was born. And Joe had passed away at 3.47 a.m. And all I kept yelling, we were the only ones in, the, in there, and all I kept screaming was that this is where my son was born. And the doctor came out and he was crying mm. because he lost his brother to an overdose. And they were like the same ages as Blake and Judd. So Judd had taken Seroquel that night mm. for the first time as prescribed. He took three Seroquel and he had two clonopin and he had Cymbalta and he still had marijuana in his system. And he had, taken a quarter of a panna and snorted it that night. Um, but it was the Seroquel that really, I guess, did it because he had relapsed, as I mentioned, on Thanksgiving and on Christmas, but he didn't die. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for this doctor prescribed benzodiazepines to somebody that was addicted to opioids yeah. in an outpatient setting was wrong you don't do that and he didn't offer any counseling or anything he's just here take this you don't that's a bad mix that's a deadly mix Mm -hmm. yeah right yeah yeah you're you're a doctor (laughs) you know yeah talk about drug-induced comas because i remember you drug-induced comas because his friends, from what I remember, and forgive me if I'm wrong, here I've got my tissue too. I've heard, I've heard this story so many times, but it's like it always gets me. Um, his friend, he was with friends, but the friends thought that he was just sleeping, but little did they know Jared was in a, like in a drug induced coma. Exactly. Yes. So, so what does that look like? You know, and I'm sorry to kind of bring that out in you, but I know there's parents out there, you know, that's you know, our thing to it, raise awareness. It wasn't their fault. No, of they, course not. They loved Jared yeah. and, and they had no idea. Yeah. They had no idea. And, you know, they all did it. I and mean, they were all snoring upon it together. Yeah. And at 1230, he was snoring. And that's a sign of a of a you know of a drug induced coma when you have been using and you're snoring. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, but they didn't know that, right. and they did think he was sleeping because he was snoring. And and yes, they tried to shake him and they couldn't wake him. Okay. So they left at twelve thirty. But again, you, know, you don't maybe, know what you don't know. Exactly, and naloxone wasn't even heard of at that time. Nobody heard of Narcon. I mean, it wasn't even around at that time. So, you know, maybe, I mean, I would have had it. I would have had Narcon at home. Yeah, we'll talk about Narcon here because I know what Narcon is, but a lot of the listeners, and I'm sure, Randy, you don't know. Do you know what Narcon is? Okay, so we'll talk We'll talk about that. But Yeah, you know. so after Jared passed away, <laughs> um, 
we have some friends of ours over and, and then they tell us about um, their friend's son who had just died from an overdose from San Clemente. And I was like, okay, this is horrible. And then I hear of Jared's, a close friend of Jared's, who was in the army, who came home to his service and he died uh, two and a half weeks later in his bathroom with a needle in his arm because some of his friends switched from the Opana to heroin because it's the same thing, but it was cheaper. Yeah. And um, so, you know, so, and Jared even tried heroin. I found out from his friend, you know, that he felt bad that he did that to Jared. But anyway, I said, you know, it's Jared's choice. He made. Exactly. It's not his fault. Right. Um, and he died 11 months later. Oh, no. Um, so Jared lost three of his close friends in that year. And then I was hearing of more in between. And so it's like, uh-oh, what is happening here? Something bad's going on. And, uh, you know, they told me immediately about that doctor that these kids were seeing. Dr. Lisa Singh. Dr. Lisa Singh. Mm-hmm. And so I immediately wanted to get her exposed. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So before we get to that, because yeah. it's a really important part of the story, uh, but, you know, I associate, I think uh, most, most people uh, associate mental health and, uh, and self medication with masking the trauma from some kind of trauma or pain. You know, people get into alcoholism or any number of things, drug addictions, oftentimes to mask, you know, depression or something resulting Mm -hmm. from a trauma. But I think what's, if I'm hearing you right, um, Jared didn't have a lot of trauma per se. I mean, he grew up in a really, you know, two loving parents, uh, with lots of friends and sports and good schools, not a lot of trauma. So this can, that's not always, I guess what I'm saying is this is not always the case where people are using drugs or alcohol to because escape exactly. things. I, I was in Costa Rica uh, last summer and there was a, I was with my brother at a yoga retreat, even though I've never done yoga in my life, but <laughs> he invited me. So <laughs> I, I went, but anyway, <laughs> my point is I, I have what was talking to my, one of my brother's friends. And she mm-hmm. said that in high school, she just took a drink of uh, beer, I think. And she was instantly hooked and she became a really, um, you know, uh, hardcore alcoholic from one drink. And, oh. and there was no, no, nothing she was trying to escape. So it's a myth that self-medication is always to mask a trauma. Sometimes this is flat out DNA addiction. Yeah. Am I, is that on, on cue with what your experience is? Yes. Yes. Okay. And forgive me if I'm stepping a boundary, does addiction run in your family? Cause that I don't know. And we can edit it if you need to. So does addiction run in our family? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually it it does. Um, Bill's, Bill's father was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So that's that's Jared's grandpa. My dad's dad was. That's Jared's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's his grandpa. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, but you're right. You know, no, no trauma, no nothing. He grew up in a beautiful home, and he just, you know, did he want to just fit in? Or, I mean, I I believe that it was after his collarbone, and he was prescribed Vicodin, and he loved it, mm-hmm. and. You know, I'm sorry. He wasn't prescribed the Vicodin. He was given the Vicodin. Mm-hmm. The doctor didn't prescribe Vicodin. He didn't go home with that, but he, um, he had the samples. Is that, I don't I know if right? the Vicodin, I don't know if his friend who also broke his collarbone uh, and mm-hmm. 
he lived on our street. I don't know if he had Vicodin prescribed to him and he was getting it there maybe. Yeah. Um, I, you know, but he, anyway, he continued to take Vicodin, which led to Oxycontin and then the Opana. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he was addicted to opioids. And like you said, the brain isn't fully developed yet. Yeah. And so. Well, and, and I noticed Jody that, I mean, here you are uh, Orange County suburban mom, and yet you have this command of vocabulary of drugs you know, I can't even pronounce aspirin, let alone a dozen different <laughs> drugs like you just did. This is probably not, you know, your dream come true to have this expanded vocabulary of all these various drugs and what they're all about. But this was kind of brought into your home without any any uh, desire on your part to learn this whole world. Yeah. Am I Am I on track with that? Absolutely. Yeah, you needed to educate no. yourself on it. The strongest medication we gave our kids, and that was like only if they couldn't sleep at night, you know, and they were struggling with coughing, was cough syrup. <laughs> and, you know, and then um, just like baby aspirin, you know, type thing, Tylenol or something, but nothing, nothing else. I mean, we, we rarely gave them any any medicine. Right. Yeah. And my husband and I, we don't have it in our medicine cabinets. You know, it's not, it wasn't in our cabinets. Yeah. Um, and here you sound like a chemist. I mean, you know, great. <laughs> with, all, with all this. Uh, a lot of people don't know what Kalanapin is. People don't know what Opana is. People don't know what morphine is. Um, yeah. I know Kalanapin just working in, in healthcare. Um, we give uh, years ago when I worked with Vitas Healthcare and, and with my dad being on hospice, hospice people like the hospice aides would, you know, the nurses would give Alzheimer's patients Klonopin to kind of bring down the agitations. Um, I was given Klonopin after the cancellation of my wedding because we didn't know what anxiety was or depression at that time back in 2004. Yet I didn't know what it was. So the psychiatrist gave me Klonopin and I went, I mean, granted, I wasn't taking it as prescribed because obviously I had unresolved trauma, right, that I wasn't facing. So the doctor here gives me Klonopin and I freaked out. So anytime somebody says, oh, I take Klonopin, I'm like, <laughs> my antenna goes up because that oh, it, yeah. it literally can put down an elephant. I mean, that is how powerful that right. prescription is. Mm. Yeah. You're right, Tanya. I, I've had several women our age telling me their stories yeah. about Klonopin. Yeah, Klonopin's not, not pleasant. So, so the doctor that I took him to for help off of um, Opana, oxymorphone, um, I, I would run into him frequently because I was mailing uh, my DVDs at the post office and I'd see him there. And one, one day, right after it happened, you know, I asked him, why? Why would you prescribe the Seroquel, you know, at the, you know, two days before he passed? Why would you add that to what you were giving him already? And, you know, to Clonopin. And he says, oh, I didn't do that. Not while he was taking Clonopin. Oh, wow. I said, wait a second. Really? I, I said, I have all the paperwork at home. What do you mean you wouldn't do that? You did it. Yeah. So this doctor was, I had no idea. I would not t- have taken Jared to see him if I knew this information, but he was actually on a five-year probation mm-hmm. at mm. the time that I was taking Jared to see him. He was on a, a five-year probation for reckless prescribing, mm-hmm. and he was also addicted to Seroquel. He was giving himself Seroquel samples. Wow. And from what I remember, I went to that doctor, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. 
And then after Jared passed away, again, on another five-year probation. So he's been on two five-year probations and he still practices. Oh, I thought he lost his license. Like right now? He's still practicing. And I'm still, I, I have so many complaints. Yeah. From so, so the we we assume that doctors are you know safe and sane and conscientious. Not always the case. They're called dirty doctors at yeah. this point. Like in our in our time, right in our culture, they're called dirty doctors now mm-hmm. because all they care about all the samples. And I mean, hopefully, big pharma is going to be cracking down. But we'll get to that. We'll yeah. get to that. Okay. But you started the advocacy. <laughs> well, we'll get to that too. But the as far as the dive stage, um, and this is just obviously a very, very ugly time because not only you lose a child, which I have not been through, but I cannot and I cannot imagine. My heart goes out to you because <laughs> Thank you. That, that's just uh, you can't find the words to describe. Uh, I'm sure the grief. Um, my my brother has lost a child, so I, it has hit close to home. Um, but, um, but this is an ugly time because not only losing a child, which is the most, uh, I guess, feared thing a parent (laughs) could possibly face. But on top of that, you're, you're peeling back layers of, of reckless medicine going on here. Mm -hmm. Uh, the medical practice is not what it's cracked up to be. And and you're finding this out layer by layer. Can, Can you share more about the dirty doctors and, and, and that whole, uh, thing? Mm-hmm. Or maybe even before, like, what were you like, how are you and Bill kind of coping with this, you know, during before, before all of this, you know, what, what was the dynamic in the home? And because I think that's important too, because grief is crazy. Grief is chaotic and it's messy and, you know, it's, I know Are you guys kind of at riffs or together. I mean, I know you and Bill, it's like, you guys are always like this, but I mean, tell us about the dynamic in the home during that time, because I witnessed parents losing a kid. I've, I don't have kids, but I witnessed it and God bless you and Bill, you know, to having like such a strong marriage, because I know the reason why my parents survived is because they had such a strong marriage and, but not everybody out there has that strong marriage. So, you know, what were you and Bill going through? I mean, in your own words, I mean, Bill has been my rock, rock. (laughs) my rock. So after it happened, I stopped eating. I mean, I just was in a depression, you know, into a depression. And um, he was worried because I was losing a lot of weight. And he was like, Jody, you know, you have to eat. And and then he showed me a picture of us. Oh, I'm going to cry again. It's know. okay. <laughs> Let it out. Do you, do you need a break? It's okay if you need a break. I'm okay. <laughs> You're okay? All right. He showed me a picture of our wedding day and, and that changed things when he showed me that picture Mm. and he says, but look at what you have. And he showed me a picture with Blake and look what you have. Yeah. Look what you still have though. And that's what did it. It's a blessing. Yeah. Mm. And the house, as far as the house goes, it was so quiet. (laughs) That was really weird to have such a quiet home <laughs> because towards the end, it, it, it got like chaotic, to be honest with you. You know, when Jared was getting in trouble and I'm getting calls from the police to come pick him up from a friend's house and he's in these little 
accidents with his car and everything. I'm like, when he's home, it's better. I can see what he's doing or, you know, what's going on. So he'd of course have to have friends over all the time. Mm -hmm. So it was, um, but they always sat in our backyard and talked and I didn't ever see them pulling out a beer or alcohol. A couple of times I caught him with the marijuana, you know, with the joint. I'm like, Oh, stop. You know, Mm -hmm. just, I caught him doing that a couple of times, even by himself in the morning. I mean, he was addicted. He'd have to start his day smoking a joint and <laughs> it's like crazy. So anyway, so he had friends over that I was pretty much, you know, really like on top of. And as, as long as he was home, that's what mattered to me because he was there and he couldn't get himself into trouble. <laughs> so all these kids were over and they were polite and loving and, you know, they watched football and the sports on TV and played, you know, games with Blake, you know, it was fun. And I'm just a, you know, I'm a kid person. I loved having them over. Well, after it happened, they weren't over anymore. And, and just not having Jared there. And it was so quiet Quiet. and hard to get used to. Mm. It was just like, yeah, really hard. Mm. But, but Bill showing you that picture, like, like you still have me, you still have Blake. It's like, right. You mm-hmm. still have something to live for. Yeah. 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 And, and that's right. And, you know, and, it, and I'm doesn't make it easier at all. It's, it's not fair to Blake to treat him this way or to be depressed. I have my son, Blake. I am very, very <laughs> fortunate. And I realize that. Yeah. He's a good and, kid. Yeah. And so thank God for Blake, you know, and so. He makes me happy. <laughs> I mean, that kid is, you know, he just. He's hard not to like. He's a good kid. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. A, so I'm very, very fortunate to have him. And I still have my Jared. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about that maybe later. <laughs> I'll tell you why I have Jared. And, yeah. and, and I know for a fact that I still have him with me. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just don't kill a bee. Yeah, don't kill a bee. Okay. That's the message. Okay. That'll be spoken in the next episode. <laughs> All right. So the we're in the dive stage. Um, it, let, let's get back to what I was asking about as far as the dirty doctors and the uh, peeling off the layers of trauma. I mean, what, what, And we're in the dive stage. Uh, we'll get into survival in a minute. But um, what, what can you share about these ugly discoveries you're making about oh, yeah, dirty so- doctors? So right after it happened to Jared and his, actually it was Jared, not his friends yet. Right away, his friend told me about the doctor where he was getting the pills or where, where his friends were getting the pills. Is this up in Roland Heights? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Dr. Lisa Singh. Mm-hmm. And so then I thought, okay, whoa, we need to expose this right away because she's killing kids. So now I'm hearing about his friends and about more people and And so this was in, Jared passed away in 2010 and 2011 was when, you know, his friends and a lot of kids were dying. And that's when I got her um, on the news. I got her face on the news because I had some young adults come to my home and share their experience in her office. And they said, and they were addicted. And they said, you know, we're in and out in less than five minutes, you know, and with this many pills. And so she was on the news. She's in OC register. And, you know, I I just started getting calls, you know, going on Dr. Drew now and and getting some, you know, calls in this poster I put up. 
um, this is a poster of 24 faces of beautiful young kids who passed away. And two of which I know, pardon, two of which I know. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so this is my son, Jared, and these are all his close friends. These are his friends he went to middle school, high school with, and Casey went to Lisa Niguel High School as well. And all these kids are local. Yeah. And they're, you know, as young as 15 years old. And let me tell you about Nolan, who I found oh, out too, who 15 had years old just before Jared, Nolan Smith from Lisa Viejo. He was with some older kids and they threw him out of the car high. He was on a lot of pills, medications, and um, he was actually found on a neighbor's porch. And so... And then beautiful James from San Clemente, Mm -hmm. who, excuse me, Joey right here, Joey from San Clemente, Mm -hmm. he was also left to die um, in dirt. Mm -hmm. The people he was with were scared or whatever, and they dropped him off uh, by J. Sarah High School and threw him out of the car. (laughs) And uh, this girl, beautiful Kelsey, who's 16 years old mm-hmm. from Dana Hills High School. Yeah. I mean, the list goes on. We were losing kids, you know, hundreds of kids, hundreds and hundreds. And it was just really sad. Is so, Nick on that picture? Hmm? Nick, is he on that picture? I know. That's okay. So, I, yeah, I put this up in business windows. Mm-hmm. With my home phone number at the top and mm-hmm. in Starbucks and everywhere. And I started getting calls for help. And that's when the mission really began because now young adults and um, parents are calling me and saying, oh, I, you know, I saw your poster. Um, I have a son. I have a daughter that's addicted. Um, you know, I don't know what to do. And so, you know, we just started talking or I had lost my son. I lost my daughter. Um, you know, I'm listening to their stories. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I started with that and, um, that's where it began. And then, um, Dr. Lisa Singh, um, I started getting empty pill bottles and scripts from moms. Um, their kids had seen her and I said, give me the bottles, give me the scripts and I'm going to take it to the DEA. So I did. And the DEA said, she's been under investigation for two years. And I said, two years? I said, well, what's it going to take? And he says, well, we're trying to build a case. And I said, well, how many kids have to die? And I showed him the poster. I'm like, we got to do something now. Mm -hmm. And so I'm giving him these empty pill bottles and these scripts and and he met actually, he met me also at a Starbucks with one of Jared's friends and he exposed a lot to him as well. And, you know, and, and then I'm crying in his office, you know, we're, I mean, it was like, we have to do something. Mm. We can't wait any longer. There's just too many kids that are dying. So. Wow. So what I'm getting is that this is like wave after wave of trauma. One is you lose your, well, I guess there's four waves that I'm counting. One is all the addiction stuff as a parent you're dealing with, wondering what to do, number one. Number two is your son actually does die as a result of this problem with uh, drugs. And then number three, you're discovering all these other kids in the neighborhood, quite literally, 
are addicted and also die. And you have a poster full of beautiful young faces Mm -hmm. that are uh, no longer with us. And then you're also another wave of this harsh reality that there's these dirty doctors that are literally feeding the problem to make a few bucks. Yeah. So it's just, it's just, wave after wave of ugly news yeah. that you're dealing with. Jody, I remember, you know, during, during the trial, not during the trial, but, you know, after, cause we both went to the impact statements and, but I remember you sharing with me that kids would go from literally, they would drive from Tucson, Arizona, drive yeah. six hours or what, seven hours yeah, to go to Roland, Joey, right? They would go to Tucson, Arizona, drive six and a half, seven hours, right? Go to Roland Heights, wait four hours in line to get pills from Dr. Singh because they knew it was going to be a sure thing. So, yes, I'm driving almost seven hours, waiting four hours just to get my pills. That's how addicted these pills are. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, this and shame is, on her. Shame on all those dirty pharma doctors. Shame on them and pharma companies. We'll get, we'll get into that. <laughs> and this was all ages, you know, that were waiting in line. This was women, mothers, fathers, grandparents, teenagers, young adults. I took the poster now into her office. I had to do that because yeah. I needed some, some type of kind of closure for myself to do this. Yeah. So I took the poster um, the receptionist said, can I help you? I said, um, well, I have a billing problem and I need to see, um, the doctor. Okay. Sit down. So I'm waiting there and then the door open and I see her. So I walked through and there she was in her white coat. And I said, I need to talk to you. And I said, here's a poster. I said, first of all, do any of these kids look familiar to you? Because half of them saw her. Mm. And I said, no, take a good look. And I said, you know, does he look familiar? Does he look familiar? Does he look familiar? I said, um, why would you prescribe Opana, oxymorphone to them? Kids. I said, did they, did they look like they had terminal stage cancer? Because that's what it's for. And she says, I, no comment. And I said, no. I said, why? Why would you prescribe? Because they're 18 years of age. Is that the reason? And I said, these kids, this is my son, and they all died. And I said, and hundreds more are dying after seeing you. And I said, why are you over-prescribing deadly combinations to these kids? And she goes, don't come to me. It's the parent's fault. <gasps> and oh, I said, oh, my God. Oh. I said, yeah, no. I said, it's not the parent's fault. Oh my goodness. You're the professional, and you knew better, period. It's an oath. Um, I also took the poster into the local pharmacist by my home. Mm-hmm. And I went into that pharmacist with the poster because I found out that he was filling the scripts for Opana and Oxycontin. And I said, um, are, you, are, are you getting you know, a lot of um, people here and filling the scripts for Oxycontin and, and Oxymorphone, Opana? He says, oh, yeah, all the time. And I said, all the time? I said, well, why? why? Why are you filling the scripts? I said, you know, you could turn them away. They can go to another pharmacy. He said, don't come yelling to me. Go to the doctor. So they're all finger. So, uh, they're, yeah, they're all pointing, pointing the finger. Yeah. Wow. You know, wow. I, I think um, there's a chapter in my book um, 
and the title of the chapter is Confront, where in order to process trauma, you have to confront the problem. And this is a quite literal example of you as, you know, here you are this, you know, Orange County suburban mom <laughs> with the guts, you know, a lot of, a lot of parents lose their kids is horrific. I, I, again, can't imagine, but they just kind of retreat. You're not retreating. Mm-hmm. You're confronting, you're confronting the problem. I mean, like quite literally going into that dirty doctor's office face to face with a poster <laughs> of beautiful young lives that have been lost and putting that in her face and confronting her. I mean, I, I think we can see that, Powerful. you know, and where we're going with this, this, uh, you know, incredible episode with you, Jody, is this strength that's not routine. <laughs> it's, it's really quite It's a amazing. crusade. It's a crusade. Yeah. I told you earlier, I had a big mouth. <laughs> so, and you're tiny. The, the main reason, I'll tell you one of the main reasons, mm-hmm. big, big reason, is because Jared and his friends who I loved and all these beautiful kids who died, it was preventable. Yeah. yeah. That was like the big word. Right after it happened, Bill and I, my husband and I said, where was the regulating? Where was the regulating? How was this doctor able to prescribe, over-prescribe. Mm-hmm. And how is she able to over-prescribe Opana and Oxycontin to 18-year-old kids who didn't need it? So, yeah, I was helping to pass some laws yeah. to mm-hmm. stop that. Yeah. yeah, and the audacity of this so-called doctor to blame Ugh. the family or the parents. Makes me hate her even when, more. And when it's, <laughs> when it's yeah, she's, the, she's, you know, the poster girl of the problem yeah. uh, is just... Uh, void of conscience mm-hmm. uh, that she would take that, you know, excuse and that tactic and even yeah. try that. Yeah. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, she's sick. She, she really yeah. had mental health issues, I yeah. think. And, yeah. and greed. And greed. We'll talk about that. Yeah. She well, had an overdose in her bathroom for crying out loud. Yeah. There was an yeah. overdose in her bathroom. She would fabricate, right? From what I remember, we had a mutual friend of ours whose son also saw her. And I guess she had fabricated this doctor fabricated this, our mutual acquaintance, her son's file. Where when, I guess when our acquaintance had looked into the file, her son had said, I never broke my arm. So she fabricated files to back her story up. Yeah. I mean, this woman really deserves to be where she is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I guess, I guess uh, she's going to be facing some justice we're going to be talking about, but it sounds like as far as the dive stage, you know, uncovering this, mm-hmm. um, you know, as I said, it's a layer, layer of trauma that you're discovering probably with each thing it's re it's, it's compounding the tra- existing trauma. Yeah. Um, is it, is it time to move on to the survive stage or anything else you want to talk about this ugly, you know, low point of your life before we go there? Anything no, we else? can move on. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let's uh, move on to the survive stage on post-traumatic thriving where we talk about whether we die, survive, or thrive. The choice is yours. Thanks for supporting our podcast. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe and follow us on your favorite social media. For books, merchandise, or to donate, visit coreiq.com. Post Traumatic Thriving is produced by Core IQ, a nonprofit with a mission to teach the life skills we all need but are not taught in school. 
Core IQ and the Post Traumatic Thriving Podcast are for informational purposes only and do not provide medical or mental health advice. Always consult with your licensed medical and mental health care providers.